there, sweet mommies. This is Sherry Hayes, the homeschooling mom of 15, bringing you encouragement and delight for your day. So wash the dishes, fold the laundry, nurse the baby, or just sit and sip some tea while we dive into the good life in Jesus. So what is on my mind today? On my mind today is some more information that will keep you from stressing over homeschooling. Okay, so we're going to talk about rushing children, or actually I think it's like pressuring children. You know, don't pressure your children, don't pressure yourself. Okay, so why do I say this? Well, we know that academics are important, like reading and writing and arithmetic and general knowledge, right? You know, that's history and science, right? And, uh, but what is more important? the ability to live well, relationships with God and man, the ability to critically analyze information for, for positive outcomes. And all this involves using academics, right? Okay, but all a child needs of academics, I'm gonna tell you some crazy things now, you gotta listen. All a child needs of academics can be taught in two to four years of study. Now, hold on a minute. Just take that in two to four years. I know, I know. So we got a whole generation, hundreds of years of people who've been doing it for 14 years of their lives, right? Okay, let me, let me continue. I'll make my case. <laughs> okay, this has been done, been done repeatedly, actually. Uh, in World War II, some of the inductees into the army could not read, write, or cipher at a first grade level. So, um, and in World War II, actually, the Army rejected 25% of the inductees. Now, remember, these are draftees, okay? Or 700,000. So these were, it's not like, the reason this is important is because they weren't just taking people that volunteered. These were people that they culled from, you know, just randomly out of the population. So 20%, you can look at this in terms of literacy, okay? 25% of the inductees or 700,000 recruits were turned away because they weren't able to pass a basic literacy test. And I've actually seen this test. I don't think even the president could pass it. <laughs> I mean, that's too easy. Okay, anyway, so, but in World War II, there was all, there was um, a 25% turnaway or 750,000 at that time. And, uh, but in 1942, they needed more men. So they decided that they would accept 10% of that 25% as long as they were trainable. And what they did is the U.S. Army then embarked on one of the largest programs of basic adult education in human history. They had a, this special training unit set up and it was well-funded and it had these qualified teachers and it was specially, they had specially designed course material, okay? And they only had two months Okay, now remember, lots of these guys were at the first grade level. They could barely sound out. I mean, maybe even they weren't that at that place. In two months, they were able to bring these soldiers from first grade to third grade. Now, third grade doesn't sound like a huge leap, but it was, it was you know, they started there and then they were able to go on from there and at least they could read the manuals and stuff, basically. So why is this important? Well, you know, the first time I read this, by the way, was in a 1950s high school reader as one of the 
stories in there. But anyway, I digress. But so I went and I actually looked this stuff up on Alexander and Charter's Library of Resources for Educators of Adults is where I found this information. So, and, and they even had an army reader that included basic reading and arithmetic skills. So uh, in two months, think about that just a minute, from first to third grade in two months, because they were adults, they were motivated, they were ready, right? So is it inconceivable that you could take an older child who has matured to the point to where you don't have to strap them to a chair to make them sit still, <laughs> And that they could learn basic skills fairly quickly? I don't think it's inconceivable. I think that's very, very possible. So um, and let me read to you now some quotes, because I love to read to you. <laughs> um, I'm going to read to you first something from the book, The um, Successful Homeschool Family Handbook by Dr. Raymond Moore. And... Um, <clears throat> I want to read. It's really kind of fun. I mean, these are such fun things. They'll be so encouraging to you. Okay, there is a fella by the name of William Rower who wrote this in November 23, 1972. So this has been around for a while. He said this, All of the learning necessary for success in high school can be accomplished in only two or three years of formal skill study. Mm-hmm, two or three years. Delaying mandatory instruction in the basic skills until the junior high school years could mean academic success for millions of school children who are doomed to failure under the traditional school system. Ah, uh, yeah, right there. Two to three years. Boy, that's crazy. Okay, there's, I've got more, I've got more stuff. Okay, here's a story of an actual person. When Dr. J.T. Fisher, later the Dean of American Psychiatrists, started school at 13, unable to read or write, and graduated from a Boston high school at 16, he thought he was a genius until he found that any normal child could do the same. Okay? He added, if a child could be assured of a wholesome home life and proper physical development, this might provide the answer to a shortage of qualified teachers at his time, right? But think about it. He entered school at 13. He was unable to read or write. He graduated then at 16, and he went on to be the dean of American psychiatrists. All right, just crazy, right? Three years. That's three years, guys. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, here's another statistic or another. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mermel, Stein, and Schulman proved that, at least until ages 9 or 10, children who went to school did no better than those who did not attend school. All right, there's another one. Okay, and you can look these people up. They're out there. Okay, here's something else he says. We, we feel sad as we see parents crippling along and burning out instead of having fun and getting great results teaching their own. Educators talk about individual differences, but often pay little attention to them in practice. They don't appreciate that some children read at age three, while others with a different profile, but just as bright, don't read until 10. Dr. Robert Moon, one of our co-authors and former assistant director of the Council of Exceptional Children, makes a two-pronged comment here. Parents who, one, rush their little children into formal schooling and or two, wrongly school them at home, border on child abuse. Instead of using common sense, they let the process become an extension of their own ego. 
They're so sure they're right. Their children are virtually in prison for 24 hours a day. They simply won't give them enough freedom to let them blossom. If children were not so beautifully malleable and did not naturally bond so much better with their parents than at school, they wouldn't survive. Now that's for homeschoolers. That's not about public schooling. That's about how we do it, isn't it? Okay, so then Dr. Raymond Moore has this to say. Okay, the best early academics are your responses to your children. Giving yourself to them in warm fellowship, conversation, travel, reading and telling stories with moral values, working at home chores and cottage industries together, teaching them by example how to serve others in the home and down the street, being alert to their highest motives and interests, and encouraging them to develop their own creative ideas in the sand pile with kitchen dough, with a telescope, in a diary, and with tools in the gar garage or garden. Okay, so that's really good right there. Um, let me, I mean, there's more. Can I read more? <laughs> Hopefully, you know, you're, you're doing something else, so you have time. Or you can stop and catch it up later. So um, I want to tell you this story. So Frank Edwards tells the story of a Harvard psychology professor, Boris Sidis, who at the turn of the century became captivated with the idea of making super babies. Sidis, that's S-I-D-I-S, could make himself a famous man, the captain of his own, the captain of his own ship. <laughs> his first exhibit would be his infant son, William. Daily, he hung letters and figures over the baby's crib and called out their names. Sure enough, by six or eight months, the tiny boy could recognize some of them. By age two, he could read high school books. At four, he was writing articles in French and English. And by five, he was writing about anatomy. But by the time he turned eight, William developed a hysterical giggle when placed under stress, giving more the impression of idiocy than brilliance. At 14, Will's father insisted on his first Harvard lecture, where the boy received resounding applause, only to turn from the podium with hysterical and uncontrollable giggles. At the sanitarium to which he was quickly dispatched by an embarrassed father, he told newsmen he wished only to live like a normal person he called a halt to his father's experiment, but when he finished at Harvard and joined the faculty of Texas Elite Rice Institute, he found he couldn't get along with others. While trying to establish himself with his peers and students at the Institute, he was convicted of inciting a riot and given a suspended sentence. He vanished and was later discovered clerking in a common store. Accepting an invitation at the urging of a friend to speak on the probability of life on Mars, his mind without judgment led him instead through an hour's lecture on streetcar transfers. America was too busy with war in 1944 to notice when William Sidis died at 46 in a Brookline, Massachusetts boarding house, unwilling to have anything to do with his father, even to accept his substantial inheritance. Now that's a sad story, but it's it's a good story to make us think about teaching our children to be, uh, teaching our children as though they're human beings and not human doings. Okay, and then here in 1987, uh, at the annual conference of the National Association for the Education of Young Children, a panel concluded that parents trying to rear super babies may be creating a generation of early burnouts. As the president said, that president of that body said, David Elkind, is what his name, 
Uh, 20 years ago, people thought, that's 20 years from 1987, so that was 1967. 20 years ago, people thought that precocity was bad. The feeling was early ripe, early rot. Now the motto is early ripe, early rich, and we know that mantra, don't we? Okay. Uh, Dr. George Stern, chairman of the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Early Childhood Adoption and Independent Care, suggested not to try and get children on the fast track because they get tired and irritable, they have belly aches, and they're on overload. He suggested normal living. They don't need high-tech curricula to do this. There's one. Okay, here's something else. <laughs> I'm just going to load you up. This is about an, an expert violinist. And uh, Dr. Moore went in, he listened to him, and he asked him after the concert, so how long had he been playing? And he said he'd been playing for three years. And um, his concert artist friend turned to me, and this is what he says, my concert artist friend turned to me with a meaningful nod. And now became increasingly clear to us why more than 1,500 professional violin teachers polled in a national survey placed the most effective age for starting violin at between 11 and 12. There's another confirmation of waiting until their maturity happens. Okay. Now, not everybody reads at the same pace. Some kids are ready to read earlier. And, you know, you, don't, you feel like I don't want to hold them back. However, Dr. Moore would suggest that you don't let them read for more than a half hour at a time. Okay, or I guess it's 15 or 20 minutes. Okay, listen, read to your children from the time they suckle at your breast. Some will be reading by four or five. Their brothers or sisters, however, who are just as bright, may not be reading until eight or 10. Just be sure your physician checks their vision and hearing and don't worry. Read to them several times a day, respond to them warmly, and give them license to explore anything that is not dangerous to them. Don't let them read more than 15 or 20 minutes at a time at age five or six, even if you have to give them a timer or distract them with errands. Okay, so that's a recommendation. Okay, here's another story, uh, a success story of someone who also was able to um, do without very much schooling. That's Dr. Frank Vandiver, currently president of Texas A&M University, quit school at the beginning of junior high skipped junior and senior high and undergraduate college. <laughs> he studied to take the graduate record, record examination with the help of tutors, passed easily, was accepted into a University of Texas master's degree program and before long completed his doctorate. So what did he do? He, he went through elementary school, skipped junior high, high school, and the first four years of college and he went directly to get a master's degree. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, there's so many stories of that. I, I've, I've read, I've, I've known of lots more. So schools, colleges, curriculum producers, and social engineers do not want us to become aware of just how little time basic education takes, okay? If we forced all parties to teach in the most efficient manner as the Army literacy schools were able to, it is conceivable that school could begin at the age of 10 or 12 and be concluded by the age of 14 or 16, the time before spent on basic reading and study of the scriptures and home life skills. The years after basic education could be devoted to application in the areas of vocation and afterwards for scholarly pursuits. Even college and university studies could be shortened by more concentration on the subject area and less liberal arts, quote unquote. 
so that one could be completely college educated by the age of 20. Now, after homeschooling our, our own for over 30 years, I have found that at a certain point, the children begin taking their education in their own hands and learning everything they can on the subject in which they are interested in and they perceive will be most helpful. I've had people observe this in our kids and it's just like we've sent kids to college and the uh, professors will say, could you stay after class and teach me what you know? <laughs> and it's not because they know everything. Nobody knows everything. But the things there they're interested in, they specialize that and they honed in on it and they were responsible for their own education. Okay. Um, one of our daughters, she originally, when she originally, when she was um, an early teen, she wanted to become an ER doctor. So she spent all of her time, she, we had this um, one medical dictionary and she would pour through that thing and she learned anatomy and she learned all these different things. And then she decided, well, I don't know if I want to go to school that long. So then she started uh, studying, um, uh, let's see, uh, paramedic. So she got a paramedic magazine and she started studying all this kind of stuff. And eventually she, ch she switched and she went over to um, design. And so she's an, um, an amazing designer. She gets paid lots of money. She works from home. She has no problem. Um, our um, eldest son, he went and he just really had this this vibe with technical stuff. I mean, more than most kids, you know, he would at, you know, when we took our quiet time in the afternoon, the other kids, they would read novels. He would read the manuals for computer manuals for fun. <laughs> and uh, the only time he went to uh, a public school was when he fixed their computers. He worked for a firm when he was 15 and they fixed the, the school's computers in our district. And he went in there and he helped them with their computers. And that's the only time he went to school. So anyway, and today he's famously successful in uh, the design and web design field. Um, he works for colleges, by the way. Okay, and uh, we, I could go on and on. I mean, there are so many stories of kids that, uh, well, we had one son and he is challenged. He's on the uh, spectrum. But, and so he didn't learn to read for a long time. <laughs> and one day he just started reading and then he proceeded to read book after book after book after book after book after book. And just amazing. He knew everything about history. He knows about physics. He knows about everything. When you talk to him, he'll just blow you away with what he knows. And that was his motivation. I did the basics, but he took off with it, right? And I, you know, I have even more stories. I could go through all of them if I wanted to, but then that would really take a long time. <laughs> um, but you see, when we start to homeschool, it's a huge elephant that we're looking at. And we want to swallow that whole elephant. We want to say today, like, let's say that your children are uh, two, four, and six, or maybe they're six, 10, and 12. And you're looking at that and you're, it's just a daunting thing. You're thinking, wow, what kind of college are they going to, et cetera, and so on and so forth. I am going to suggest that instead of eating that whole elephant today, that you just trust God. And for this step that you're on this year, this, uh, this month, right? Just take this time and relax and realize that you're going to have a lot of years to teach your kids and they are going to know the basics. Don't worry, they will get them. But if you don't teach them how to be human beings and human doings, I know I'm saying it again, then they're not going to have the kind of life that you would like for them to have.
And, um, and so it's so very important that you just eat that elephant one bite at a time. And so I would like to read to you this poem. This is entitled Making a Man by Nixon Waterman. And I discovered this through Lydia Sherman and uh, she's on YouTube. She's, I think it's called, yeah, I think it's called Lydia Sherman. I think that's what she calls it. But I, I listened to her, it's kind of, she calls it a radio program, but um, it's, it's videos and I love listening to her. I always discover cool things through her. So anyway, here it is, Making a Man by Nixon Waterman. Hurry the baby as fast as you can. Hurry him, worry him, make him a man. Off with his baby clothes, get him in pants, feed him on brain foods and make him advance. Hustle him soon as he's able to walk into a grammar school, cram him with talk. Fill his poor head full of figures and facts. Keep on a jamming them until it cracks. Once boys grew up at a rational rate, now we develop a man while you wait. Rush him through college, compel him to grab of every known subject, a dip or a dab. Get him in business and after the cash, all by the time he can grow a mustache. Let him forget he was ever a boy. Make gold his god and it's jingle his joy. Keep him hustling and clear out of breath until he wins nervous prostration and death. Well, what a way to end it, right? We don't want to we don't want to keep our kids into the oligarchical global idea that their lives are just to be wage slaves, do we? I mean, we have to work. God says we have to be diligent. That's the way to be blessed. But there's a point at which diligence turns into slavery. And it's not godly, and it's not trusting, and it's not good. So, now I will give you something more. And it really works into what we've been talking about. Okay, so I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. And it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now, this is a verse that you really can have a lot of fun breaking down and meditating on because there's so much here. First of all, what I have observed is that Jesus called Satan the father of lies. Do you remember that? But Father God here is called the Father of compassion. Okay, and actually some have rendered it the father of the compassions, which is really interesting, isn't it? So he's not the father of discomfort, the father of correction, the father of being uncomfortable. He's the father of compassion. Now there are many gods and goddesses of many things. There's God, there's a god of the sea, god of the flies, god of eros, which they call love its eros, right? You know, all, and you know, there, if supposedly there's the return of the gods and they're all very present in our current lives. But in this verse, we have the God of all comfort. He's the God of every comfort ever conceived from the beginning of time. God is the father. He's the God of all that comfort since the very beginning. He's the God of comfort. Okay. Now, what does this mean? It means Every compassion, every comfort between God and man, between man and man, comes from God. And if you ever need com compassion, if you ever need comfort, he's the one to go to. And he does not turn you away. If you are humble and you cry to him, he's not going to say, well, I would have compassion on you. But, you know, you really sucked at this the other day. So I don't know. I'm turning my face away. 
you know, if you come to him humbly, he's going to re he's not going to reject you. He's going to accept you. That's in the scriptures every place. Okay, now, hallelujah, his mercies are new every morning. That's lamentations. Okay, so I hope this helps you in your day today. I hope you can meditate on that and think about that as you're doing all the wonderful things you do and talking to all the people you love. Because if you know that God loves you and has compassion and comfort for you, you can give that more easily to others because you're being a conduit of his compassion and love to others. So I'm going to leave you today. And I hope that you will be liking, reviewing, sharing this podcast with others. I have it on YouTube and I also have it on, you know, the other services like, like, um, I know it took me a while last time. I really do have it on, um, uh, uh, I really do have it on Spotify and on um, Apple, I hope. <laughs> anyway, you know, I have to learn all this technical stuff. It takes me a while, but God helps me. I know he's in it, so he helps me. Okay, also you can glean even more information by subscribing to my blog over at momdelights.com. You have to go to the homepage. It's momdelights.com, and then you'll click the little four little lines, and it'll bring you, and you'll click, you know, blog, no, blog. <laughs> And then if you're on your phone, um, and then you can just go to my blog. And I usually, I try to have notes on my podcast up. I don't necessarily get them up right away. In the description of this video, there should be a link, I hope. I'll try to do that. But anyway, there's there's more stuff on there. And you can look at pictures, and I'll have some links to different books, and all those kinds of things. So, I hope this blesses you, and I hope you have an amazing day in the presence of Jesus. Bye-bye.